exciting. I'm going to talk about sections 12 and 13. Yeah, I'm interested in learning about what it means to establish a Zion and uh, looking more into Joseph Knight. He's not a figure we typically talk about, so. I'm really looking forward to section 13, too. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about priesthood, especially the Aaronic priesthood. And, yeah. and I'm really excited about Oliver Cowdery's rendition of what happens. We don't talk about that a lot, too. So welcome. Maybe before we get into our discussion, we can follow up on what we read. Yeah, let's do it. So we're studying Doctrine and Covenants, sections 12 to 13. Joseph is in Harmony, Pennsylvania. Uh, Joseph Knight is coming to him and asking for a revelation from Joseph. And he's also going to provide a lot of material goods for Joseph. Um, The Lord tells him that all who desire are called to the work and that to qualify for the work, one must possess humility, faith, love, and other virtues. And it's also in Harmony, Pennsylvania that Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery are going to receive the Aaronic Priesthood, which is going to lead to so much more in the future on this topic. Mm So there's a lot of things we can talk about, uh, but we're going to focus on two things specifically, establishing the cause of Zion, what that means, and the restoration of the priesthood. So in order to help us do that, we have invited two wonderful guests today, Jana and Jeff Parkin. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. And we have two seats for you. Fantastic. Isn't this This great? This is a thrill. It's nice to have somewhere to sit. (laughs) So Jeff Parkin is a film professor at Brigham Young University. He's also an award-winning writer, director, and producer. Uh, His wife, Jana, is here with us as well. She's a professional artist who specializes in watercolor. Um, You're also adjunct faculty at Utah Valley University. Uh, You're published in two anthologies, and you've also published a cookbook. And I just learned today, and we're going to use you for this, Jeff. Your mother is Bonnie Parkin, who was a General Youth Study president of the church. You have outed me. Well, <laughs> I'm giddy about that because I'm going to bombard you with some questions Happy here and help. after. Thank you so much for being here today. Before we even ask you guys your favorite parts, we'd like to do some context, if that's okay. First of all, you think about Joseph Smith. It's May of 1829. The church has not yet been established. Joseph Smith has heard a lot of derogatory comments about himself, but Joseph Knight ends up becoming this major supporter and friend of the prophet. And Joseph needed that at this time. So what stood out to you, either of you? One of the things that stood out to me was the fact that everybody's called to the work if we desire it. So there's still choice and accountability even there, right? We, we can choose to opt in. And the other thing, of course, then is so humbling that we have to be humble and loving and all those things. But I think the combination is really sweet. I really like that idea also that all who have desires are called and uh, the importance of being full of love. It's, I think, something that we're still working on as a church today, how important it is to be able to just love each other. You know, it reminds me of this, this idea of establishing the cause of Zion. Hiram Smith was with Joseph, and he was asking Joseph a similar thing. What can I do to help establish Zion? In section 11, verse 6, he says, help in the cause of establishing Zion. And then as we go to Joseph Knight now, who is not yet a member of the church, which I find fascinating that the Lord is going to say this to him, you need to help in the cause of establishing Zion. And then we're going to continue to see that in section 14, verse 6. We're going to see that same idea. So this establishing Zion is critical. And I think what you're seeing in here as well is this idea of love. In order to establish this Zion, that's one of the things these people are going to have to do and learn to do better is how to love as Christ loves, that pure charity that we've talked about. Jenna and I were having a conversation uh, earlier today, and I was asking her about what kind of art she does, and, and she says she does primary landscapes. And I asked her, well, do you also do religious art? And she responded by saying, I consider my landscapes a religious experience or painting a religious experience. So there's an idea in which we can express our relationship to God, uh, grow closer to him, help other people grow closer to him through different things that we do. And it doesn't always look the same for everybody. That kind of inspired That's me. That's good so. input. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that, uh, that Joseph Knight, I didn't know that he wasn't a member of the church. That's 
Not yet. Either. He's cool. getting close. Yeah. But, he's, yeah. <laughs> but one of his gifts was having material means. Yeah. And we can't move forward without being able to pay for stuff, it turns out. <laughs> and so what, what, a, what a cool blessing and uh, a neat thing that somebody like him was available to be able to help the work move forward, to, to, to be able to pay for things. Yeah. Joseph actually says that without Joseph Knight Sr. and his financial ability, they wouldn't have been able to spend time with the interpretation of the scriptures. You know, the Lord expected a lot. I find it fascinating with the idea of the monetary needs in verse 8. He talks about these qualities that, that are going to be needed in order to establish the cause of Zion. And he says, and no one can assist in this work except he shall be, and as you mentioned, Jeff, humble and full of love, having faith, hope, and charity. And then he says, and being temperate in all things, mm. which I find that, that word temperate fascinating, especially when you're in regards to finances. Mm. He really mm -hmm. did give up what he needed, putting the Lord first mm -hmm. and not taking too much for himself. The, if you were to look through Doctrine and Covenants, you don't get as much talk about kind of the ethics of wealth, like what we should do with money as you do in, say, the Book of Mormon. But Joseph Knight seems to embody what King Benjamin and Jacob and Mormon were well to talk about, of the proper attitude we're supposed to have towards money, that we're supposed to seek riches, but with the intent to do good, that we're supposed to develop a hope in Christ, uh, and then we can properly use the material resources we have. And it seems like Joseph Knight was in that place in which the Lord could call upon him, and he wasn't so attached to his material wealth that he wasn't able to uh, consecrate it to the work of the Lord. In fact, it wasn't just there that they're helping him. They continue to support Joseph. They're, they go to Ohio and they support Joseph in Ohio and they end up going to Missouri. And, and by the time they get to Missouri, Joseph has literally given up. Joseph and Polly have literally given up all of their financial means for the work of the Lord. It's, it's a pretty powerful story, frankly, with those two. Which is that idea of consecration. Yep. That you're willing to give up everything you can for the building up of the kingdom. Yeah. How do you think we can cultivate that kind of relationship to the material resources we have to be willing to to consecrate it all if that's what God asks. The scriptures teach us that material resources can have, or wealth can have the, the effect on us that we just don't want to let it go, that we just want to you know, accumulate and accumulate. So how do we detach ourselves from that? We ran our own business and it was often financially tightened. We had ups and downs, of course, but we had, um, I got to the end of the year and totaled everything up and it looked like we owed like a huge amount, like $4,000 tithing that would have just wasted our newlywed budget. And we wrote the check and we got it ready to go over to tithing settlement. And then I thought, wait, that doesn't sound right. That means we made $40,000 more than we think we did, and I'm pretty sure we don't have it. So I went back and um, retabulated everything, and it turned out that we had entered in an expense as an asset, basically. And so I went back and reworked it, but it made us both really happy to know that we were willing to give that bigger amount. Yeah, that's a fantastic story, thank you. And I think, that's, I think that is part of it, is you're grateful to be able to serve. That's the thing that I think really helps um, is that perspective that everything is really the Lord's. It's an attitude of gratitude that allows you to give. Yeah. So maybe we can open it up to our audience. Um, what have you done to cultivate a greater willing to sacrifice for the Lord? Okay, so a few years ago, my husband and I found ourselves in a lot of debt. And we decided to take the self-reliance class. And through this class, we were inspired to sell our home just after two years of owning it, and pay off all our debt with the, with the money that we made. Talking about holding on to things, I wanted to hold on to that house. That was my dream house. Mm -hmm. it had a pool. It was wonderful. <laughs> but we reluctantly, also peacefully, mm -hmm. sold that home and was able to pay off all our debt mm -hmm. and get to a point where we were sacrificing because we felt like that was what 
God wanted us to do. Mm-hmm. And as we did that, we found ourselves in so much rest. Mm-hmm. We were able to rest, not being in debt. Yeah. And we did that with the intent to be able to pay for our children's missions. Mm-hmm. My husband and I want to serve a mission. Mm-hmm. These are all things that we were thinking about when we sacrificed our home. You know, it's interesting on the opposite side, but the same motivation. You see the prophet who's clearly trying to establish Zion, and he was always poor. Yeah, the Lord even says to Joseph, your gift is not into finances, basically. It's it's like Joseph goes from one poor house living on one poor person's farm to another farm to another house that he's kicked off of. I mean, his whole life is just, he's extremely righteous and extremely poor. I mean, he finally gets to the Nauvoo period where he actually has a house, but he's living, frankly, outside most of the time still and trying to help people. He just, the, the promises of the Lord is not necessarily money, but it is that we are going to be his and we are going to continue to be his forever, united. And there's a, there's a sense in which you possess a certain kind of richness or wealth regarding your quality of life and the peace that you had. Yeah. Um, that perhaps, you know, remaining in your first house wouldn't have given you. And that's, and that's the real treasure that you have, the real, the real wealth, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. I find it fascinating also, just for a historical context, that Joseph is actually in the process of translating Moses 7, mm. where we're talking about Zion, especially in that. And so Joseph is thinking about and learning about Zion, and the Lord is teaching him about what Zion is, and one heart and one mind, and they dwell in righteousness, and there's no poor among them. Mm-hmm. A little bit ironic, or Joseph is poor, yeah. but it's a different definition of poor, <laughs> right. perhaps, right? That was right? the motivation to establish it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, in fact, Joseph Smith says this about the establishment of Zion, the building of Zion. He says, the building up of Zion is the cause that has interested the people of God in every age. They have looked forward with joyful anticipation to the day in which we live and fired with heavenly and joyful anticipations. They have sung and written and prophesied of this our day. And then he continues, we are the favorite people that God has made choice of to bring about the latter day glory. It is left for us to see, participate in and help to roll forward the latter day glory. And doesn't it seem like that urge to develop Zion is even more relevant today. Like, it seems like they're kind of ramping that up. I, I noticed in President Eyring's talk that I listened to this morning, it was all about establishing Zion and what we need to do right now to be like the city of Enoch. Like, it was powerful. Oh, absolutely. He was talking to the women specifically of the church, but those principles apply to all of us of it's time to be establishing Zion. President Nelson, we're gathering Israel. This is, this is all part of the same move, mm-hmm. right? And that idea of gathering bringing people together. That's what Zion is all about. And we are so splintered and fragmented right now, Mm -hmm. finding fault with so many uh, different differences of opinion. And how can we do that to have instead to change our hearts, to be knitted together? It's really important. And not that the men can't do this, but that was one injunction specifically from President Eyring is women, you have a gift and you need to use that. Go ahead. Do you remember what what he said, Jana? I know he said, yeah, that that women have a particular gift for um, resolving contention and for bringing hearts together. And he said, it's because of the love of the Lord that you have in you. And as you serve, that love spreads to other people. And again, it's not to say that men don't have that, but there's some propensity or some type of gift that women have been given in order to do so, to unify people. Yeah, 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 exactly. Thank you. So this has been an excellent discussion on establishing Zion. I wonder now if we can transition to uh, section 13 specifically in the restoration of the priesthood. What stands out to you about the restoration of the priesthood? As a writer, one of the things that's really interesting to me about this is if I were going to make up a church, 
I would not come up with the idea that John the Baptist had to come back and restore <laughs> something to me. I'm just saying, that's a pretty kind of a crazy notion. It's a hard sell. And for me, I, <laughs> to me, I really think that's beautiful, that the person who exercised those keys back in Jesus' day is the one that has to bring that back. It just, it feels uh, like it comes from outside of Joseph Mm-hmm. as opposed to being something that he thought, oh, this would be a clever idea. Let's have John the Baptist, who had his head cut off, by the way, <laughs> also come back to give me the priesthood. Right. Yeah. But Joseph couldn't have made this up. I mean, you think about what he knew at that time and going back into the scriptures and studying the New Testament and the Old Testament. I mean, the same is the case with Elijah restoring the other keys. Exactly. Like, how in the world did Joseph know all this? He wasn't that well read. And yes, he had been studying, but he's not making this stuff up. Uh, this not is coming these from two the kinds of priesthoods, yeah. Aaronic and uh, Melchizedek, and we've got to have different guys restore those. Right. In reference to these, to this priesthood and their privileges and the authority that come along with it, Jeff, I think you have a wonderful story that you were telling about your father in a boat. As a family, we all talked about uh, getting a boat. And so he went out and bought this boat. It was a jet boat, really powerful. And he would just let us drive the boat uh, up to the reservoir and take our friends water skiing and uh, go up and just have a great time together. I think of being a father now and having 16-year-olds, I don't think I would have enough faith to let my kids take my boat. But our dad did, and uh, later on, we, we named our boat Dad's Trust. And that idea of uh, being trusted with something that is bigger than ourselves, something that we, we don't fully understand, but the way that that allowed us to uh, bless other people's lives. We taught a lot of people to water ski behind that boat and had a lot of really great times. And I think that's what the priesthood does. It can do a lot more than we even are aware of. And it can also make our lives a lot better. That's been sort of a sweet memory for me. Thank you so much, Jeff, for sharing that. I, you're talking about that, and I was thinking of the trust that the Lord has in us. I mean, you were, you're probably very careful, I would imagine, with this boat. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I mean, you could tell to that, but... We, we were very careful with it, but it was a big responsibility, and it was a lot of... My dad had a lot of faith in us to be willing to let us do it, which I think is what Heavenly Father says, this is my power, yeah, and I'm going to give it to you so that you can do what I do and do that with each other. And it'll change you and it'll change the people that you minister to. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't call it dad's mistake, right? I mean, you, you could have. Maybe he did, but <laughs> yeah. dad's, dad's trust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's amazing that, that your father would trust you. It's amazing that our heavenly father also trusts yeah. men to, to be ordained to priesthood offices, but also women to be able to have that power and authority of the priesthood as well. Maybe we could ask our audience yeah. now how the, priest, how the priesthood has uh, blessed you and your families. Just kind of knowing that the priesthood's always around me just fills me with so much joy and that whenever one of my siblings are sick or when we go back to school, we always have the priesthood with us and the Holy Ghost. And because of the priesthood, we now have the, whole, we have the Holy Ghost. And when my dad gives us back-to-school blessings, he always does it with sincerity. And so far, none of us has really gotten sick since the school year, and it just helps me know that the priesthood's always with me. Ireland, what if you did get sick? Well, then I know the priesthood's with me and he'll heal me. <laughs> that, that's a great, and what if you don't get healed? Then I will stay sick. <laughs> <laughs> and will you lose your testimony in the priesthood? No. Why? Because he's still with me and he will answer my prayer someday. Yeah, that is true. The priesthood is, is, is not meant to solve every problem. It's the power of God to be used for God's purposes. And 
I, I appreciate you at your young and very wise age to recognize that God's will is sometimes not our, our will. And sometimes through the priesthood, you may not be healed. And sometimes those you love may not be healed, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. And that doesn't mean that somebody isn't using their priesthood. It means that God has a plan and he's always right. And we learn to trust in him. It's a great comment. Good job, Ireland. This might be a good time to, we had a, a video question from a viewer at home. Hi, my name is Brandon Carraway. I'm from the Washington DC area. And the question I have about the priesthood is, when is someone worthy to exercise the priesthood? Any thoughts on that, Jeff? When is someone worthy to exercise the priesthood? I don't know that we're ever 100% worthy for anything, mm. but I do think that enabling power of the atonement helps make up the difference if we are making an effort to put our heart and our mind in line with God's heart and mind. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's when those beautiful things happen that you're talking about of receiving that, that revelation to know how God sees someone and what it is that they, that they want to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I like this idea that worthiness is not the same thing as flawlessness. Mm -hmm. And you see that kind of reflected in the most recent change to the Temple Recommend interviews. Yeah, I think the Lord cares most about effort as opposed to perfection. One of the things that I've noticed is extremely important to me is, is how a man who holds the priesthood, how he treats his wife or how he treats his sisters or how he treats and those people who are perhaps at a, at a different level than he may be. I, I think when you think about worthiness, you think, what, how did Christ treat people? What is that relationship? The power for one who is a worthy priesthood holder is one who is obedient to God. He's mm -hmm. faithful to God and he loves as God loves. How would you respond to somebody who has a question about what if we feel other people aren't worthy to be exercising their priesthood? You know, we, we talked about this a little bit. I, th I think a lot of it is between that individual and the Lord. Although I'm, I'm gonna make a caution perhaps. If, if a woman is being in any way abused by one who holds the priesthood, that's different. If it's a family member and you're being hurt by someone, please know that that person does not worthily hold the priesthood and amen to their power and the authority thereof. Mm -hmm. a, an abusive man who may say, I am using the priesthood, therefore you have to do what I say, is no longer worthy of the priesthood that he holds. I was grateful to hear President Nelson in, uh, I think that talk is 2018, Spiritual Treasures, yeah. mm -hmm. actually apologize to sisters who had experienced abuse yes, yeah. or sadness or hardship uh, from people who hold the priesthood, who are priesthood leaders or who were uh, uh, family members and that, that, and he apologized. So that was really important and, and said, I'm sorry if that's ever happened to you. And that actually doesn't represent the priesthood. No. The, the priesthood's not anything like that. We, we as members, we may see some faults in people here and there, but um, I think we have to be very careful that we want to see people as the Lord sees us and we are all faulty. Yeah. <laughs> so be, be cautious with, with the judgment of others because those same judgments are gonna, gonna right. come back to us. Mm -hmm. We really do have the priesthood of God on the earth today and it is clear it's being used in the homes of single mothers, single sisters, in the homes of families, in the homes of all covenant making and keeping members of the church. Yeah, so President Nelson has a great quote regarding the priesthood and especially some of the misconceptions regarding women in the priesthood. How I yearn for you to understand that the restoration of the priesthood is just as relevant to you as a woman as it is to any man. We have to be careful not to go overboard and just say, you know, it's always, it's all about the women. I mean, it's about both. And in fact, there's another quote from President Nelson where he says, may I voice a concern 
The concern is this, too many of our brothers and sisters do not fully understand the concept of the priesthood power and the authority. And then he says, I fear that too many of our brothers and sisters do not grasp the privileges that could be theirs. Mm -hmm. And on that note, I'm wondering if anybody, if you have any comments or or questions regarding to the priesthood or even to how uh, women relate to the priesthood. I mean, what's going through your minds right now? So being in a church that focuses on family, um, I automatically had the mentality that unless you were married, then that's when you had the priesthood in your home. And as I've gotten older and I'm still single, I noticed I was telling my mom that I would say, well, that would be nice if I had the priesthood in my home for this. Or, you know, when I'm sick, like I have to call people in to come give me a blessing. And as I've come to realize, just because I'm a woman, I actually do have the priesthood with me. I don't have the power to give blessings, but I still have the power that I can call the priesthood to be in my home, that I can call down the power of heaven to be with me. I can call down the angels to be in my home. I can call down the spirit to be with me in my home. I think as women, as we tend to be single longer than we plan to, or whether we get divorced or find ourselves a widow, that we need to remember we do have that power of the priesthood with us that we can use and we need to remember to use it. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) I can share a lot of stories too. I didn't get married till I was 40, but I have a lot of friends that are still single. I I loved when my dad would come to my home and he would say, Barb, you preside here. And mm-hmm. he was right, mm-hmm. because I did preside. It was my home. The, the importance of understanding the priesthood and responsibility that women have is, is extremely important in our day and age, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for bringing up that comment. We could talk about that forever, I think. <laughs> and we'll probably will throughout the rest of the Doctrine and Covenants as priesthood continues don't to Don't get her started. I know, don't get me started. <laughs> but on the other side, we understand that for women, especially when we're talking about church and ecclesiastical-type priesthood, we, we understand that any person acting under the authority of somebody who holds priesthood keys is using priesthood authority and priesthood power. And so therefore we understand now better than we ever had before the role of women in using that priesthood as they are fulfilling their priesthood callings in the church. You know, I had a really sweet experience with a priesthood leader when I was a really young Relief Society president. I was only 25. I'd only been in the ward for about four months. The bishop had called me to a pretty weighty assignment. And um, one day he just called me into his office and I didn't know what for. And he had me sit down and he said, you know, I just have something I want to run past you. He said, before I make a decision, I just think it's really important to get a woman's perspective. And I thought it was so great that he was that respectful. And it really helped me rethink about uh, the priesthood power in my calling and also the power and the presence and the, the perspective, the permission that we all have as participants in the priesthood under those who hold keys, I guess I would say. And yeah, I thought it was powerful. It had a huge impact on me. So So Jeff, if you don't mind, you talked about your dad and you talked about dad's trust, the boat, but your mom, as we've mentioned, was the general society president of the church. And what can you share with us about your mom and, and priesthood? You know, it's interesting when a calling like that comes, my mom was great. Um, but she's by no means perfect. My dad might be a little bit uh, not perfect because he let us take that boat, but <laughs> he served in a lot of callings. He was a bishop, he was a stake president, he was a mission president. Um, he had been President Parkin in a lot of ways. And then my mom gets this calling to be President Parkin. And watching her take that mantle, and when she would speak, there were times when I absolutely knew she was speaking for what the Lord wanted her to say. I'm the ball baby on this thing. 
And uh, I remember she told me once uh, the, the first presidency in the 12 asked them to come in and talk about the welfare program. And my mom, she's pretty in your face and out there. I'm very different from her, as you can tell. And she uh, said they went in and she was just pointing the marker and she had the, the piece of paper up there. She was writing stuff down. And what do you think, President Irene? And, and how about you, Elder Holland? And they were writing everything down, doing it in a very different style than the way the brethren did it. When they finished, President Hinckley said, let it go down in the record, that the women of the church taught us today. And his acknowledgement of what those sisters brought and how powerful that was and that the insight that the sisters brought that the brethren just weren't able to have. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you. It has been a fantastic discussion on the restoration of the priesthood, especially in regards to Section 13. Jana and Jeff, thank you so much. Your thoughts, insights, stories, everything has been really impactful in helping us understand better the priesthood. We'd like to thank... Our, our video questioner and for the insight and the questions that were asked. And also we'd like to thank you as our audience. Thank you for being here with us today. And to those of you at home, thanks for your comments and insights and questions that you sent us via social media. Uh, we'd love to see you in the studio sometime with us, but if you can't, we hope you'll watch next week on Come Follow Up. Thanks. Thanks so much. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.